The more and more that we learn about preeclampsia, the more we really should respect it and fear it. There's a higher risk of cardiovascular complications within two to five years after a patient presents with preeclampsia. But this also affects children. Children born to preeclamptic mothers, especially if they are born premature, are at increased risk of neurodevelopmental adverse outcomes related to abnormal oligodendrial cell differentiation and maturation. Preeclampsia, in and of itself, can also lead to abnormal fetal brain myelination and related abnormal neurodevelopmental outcomes, including language impairment. I want to stop here and just emphasize what we just covered. For a long time, it was thought that a lot of the adverse neurodevelopmental outcome in children had to do with being born premature because induction was medically necessary because of severe preeclampsia. And that's true. Definitely, preterm birth is a risk factor for poor neurodevelopmental outcome. That doesn't shock anyone. We know that. But what's newer in the data is that preeclampsia in and of itself, by its own epigenetic changes, can also lead to adverse neurodevelopmental outcomes. One of the great reviews on this just came out in 2020 in April in Trends in Neuroscience. And I encourage you to go look for that article because it does kind of go through a lot of this data that it is preeclampsia by itself and not just premature birth that's at play here. The title of this publication is Neurodevelopmental Outcomes of Prenatal Preeclampsia Exposure. Currently, only low-dose aspirin has ACOG's endorsement as a primary prevention tool for preeclampsia. But we have to keep looking for other agents that potentially could rival low-dose aspirin or, of course, ideally, surpass its efficacy. For several years now, Provostatin has made headway in its prevention of preeclampsia. And now, a brand new publication has just been accepted in the American Journal of OBGYN. This is not out in print yet, but we're going to cover this new data on provostatin as primary prevention for preeclampsia and also look at some long-term neurodevelopmental outcomes for children exposed to this medication in utero. In this episode, we're going to summarize this publication, the title of which is Long-Term Neurodevelopmental Follow-Up of Children Exposed to Pravastatin in Utero. This was just accepted on February the 16th, 2023, and this will be coming out in print soon. And of course, in our typical style, you want to stick with us until the end of the episode. Because although this new data is very promising, I'm going to explain why Pravastatin is not ready for the center stage just yet. Ready? Let's get into why preeclampsia needs to be prevented, how Pravastatin can help, and its effect on neurodevelopmental outcomes for children exposed to this medication in utero. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. A quick disclosure. In this episode, we're going to discuss a specific type of statin, pravastatin. Please note that this episode is not corporately or industry-sponsored. I remember learning that the cure for preeclampsia was delivery implying that once the patient delivered, it's kind of all over. You could wash your hands of the condition because she's cured. And that was wrong. 
women who have pregnancy-related health problems, specifically hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, face an increased risk for having a stroke much earlier in life than peers with uncomplicated pregnancy, and that risk climbs with each complicated pregnancy. These findings were just presented on February the 6th, 2023, at the American Stroke Association's International Stroke Conference in Dallas. This data showed that women with two or more hypertensive pregnancies had doubled the risk of stroke before age 45 compared to women without serious complications. All to say, we really do need to respect preeclampsia for what it is, a significant marker of future cardiovascular complications later in life. That's why trying to prevent this thing from occurring has to be top of line for any obstetrical healthcare provider. We already have aspirin as the main pharmacological tool at hand, again, already endorsed by ACOG and SMFM. But we should keep looking. The properties and mechanisms of action of statins do make them highly promising candidates for both prevention and treatment of preeclampsia. Look, privastatin is a competitive inhibitor of the enzyme HMG-CoA reductase, and this has already been shown to be effective in prevention of preeclampsia in both rat models and some clinical studies. Clinical studies do suggest that privastatin can increase the production of vascular endothelial and placental growth factors while reducing soluble FMS-like tyrosine kinase and endoglin concentrations. In other words, it flips that ratio between vasoconstriction and vasodilation, which favors reduction in preeclampsia. And here's something else beneficial. Other studies have also shown that statins do have anti-inflammatory properties and reduce levels of CRP even in patients with normal cholesterol levels. They can also upregulate Th2 anti-inflammatory cytokine production and downregulate Th1 pro-inflammatory cytokine release. These immunomodulary and anti-inflammatory effects, along with the endothelial and the vascular protective properties, helps make this type of medication, specifically privastatin, much more favorable, at least on the books, at least in the mechanism of action, over aspirin. All right, so let's stop there for a minute because it sounds like we're really, really talking this thing up, right? Well, we are because there is strong data for this. Well, then the question is, well, wait a minute, if there's strong data for it, why hasn't ACOG endorsed it? It's a pretty good question, right? Well, the better question should be, why has it not endorsed it yet? Because once again, medicine and the data really does move fast. For a long time, Pravastatin was kind of kept at arm's length because of fear that somehow lipid production in the child would be affected in a negative way and that could somehow alter neurodevelopmental outcomes. But now, pieces of the puzzle are now coming in like this new publication that we're about to summarize. Now, just to be clear, this data that we're about to summarize is not the end-all be-all. It's just another piece of the puzzle, but it was a big one that was missing. Now, it definitely needs to be replicated because the N here is really small. And I'm going to explain that in just a minute. But nonetheless, nobody has ever looked at it to this degree like these authors in this publication just have. So it is very limited and we still need to replicate it. But as medicine does move very quickly, I'm confident that that data will come and we'll have a second agent, not just aspirin, to help prevent preeclampsia. We're talking about Pravastatin. And remember also that historically, Pravastatin was a no-touch med in pregnancy. 
because in the prior FDA classification of medications, privastatin was actually classified as category X. However, that designation was primarily due to a lack of indication that warranted its use during pregnancy. Newer data has not confirmed any increased risk of congenital malformations in those fetuses that were exposed to this medication in utero. So, the FDA recently removed the warnings regarding the use of statins in pregnancy. There's a very nice commentary on the FDA's change in stance regarding the language of statin use in pregnancy that just came out a year ago on February the 14th, 2022. Uh, nothing says Happy Valentine's Day like a good article about statins. The title of this publication is Statin Use in Pregnancy. Is it time for a paradigm shift? And this came out out of the journal circulation from the American Heart Association. This change in language from the FDA regarding statin use in pregnancy is a very big deal because it opens up the door to future research trials with this medication. See, what researcher wants to use a medication in pregnancy that the FDA labeled Category X in the old letter designation scheme? I mean, nobody wants to do that. They did, but it was very small trials. Most of the data on provostatins are just that. They're very limited in the number of N. They're very small individual participants in these studies, including the one that we're highlighting now. But if you change that wording, you open up the door to future data. And the original label was always kind of weird because Pravastatin specifically was used in these studies because, at least, of its theoretical safety profile. <laughs> you see, regarding the placental transport of Pravastatin, it is extremely limited, meaning it doesn't even go to the child in any real significant quantities. And that's because it's hydrophilic and its structure it actually makes it part of the efflux pump in the placental transport mechanism. Yeah, it's kind of pumped out of the fetal compartment. That's why it limits its ability for transplacental transport, which doesn't even justify its class X labeling to begin with. Data from pilot trials in which pravastatin was used in the second and third trimesters demonstrated its short-term neonatal safety. But ACOG has been hesitant to do an endorsement until more long-term fetal safety has been documented. Well, this is where this new study comes in. Here's why this study really is a big deal. It's the first to report on the long-term neuromotor, cognitive, and behavioral outcomes among children that were exposed to pravastatin in utero during the second and third trimesters of pregnancy. Okay, that sounds pretty good, right? It covers several realms of neurodevelopmental outcomes. Ah, but don't forget that it does come with a caveat, and we're going to explain that as we move on in the episode. All right, podcast family, now that we've set that stage, let's get into how this study was done and, of course, what the results were. We're going to do that right after this quick break. All right, podcast family, let's just stop here for a minute. Let's just put this into perspective. I mean, what do we really know about Pravastatin? I mean, does this thing really work? Well, we know it's a pretty good statin, first of all. And we know that at least in rat models and in some clinical studies, it does have favorable angiogenic properties and it's anti-inflammatory. We've already said that. We get that. And there are some studies that definitely do show a reduced risk of preeclampsia with its use. But there are other studies that have not shown a decreased risk of preeclampsia. 
That's why it's helpful to do a systematic review and meta-analysis. And one was just published on January the 13th, 2023. This was a systematic review and meta-analysis out of frontiers in medicine. For this meta-analysis, two independent reviewers systematically searched data from PubMed, Scopus, Web of Science, the Cochrane Database, Embase, and clinicaltrials.gov. Originally, 14 studies were identified that had about 1,500 pregnant women who received either provostatin or placebo. These studies were published anywhere between 2003 and 2022. But out of these original studies identified, only five ended up being in the meta-analyses. All of these used pravastatin prior to 20 weeks of pregnancy. They found that pravastatin treatment reduced the incidence of preeclampsia by 61% and premature birth by 45%. And among the newborns, there was a 45% reduction in fetal growth restriction. This is why it's important to do meta-analyses, because when you have a lot of scatters with one study saying, yes, it does help, and another saying, no, it doesn't, sometimes the only way to make sense of it is to put it through one, something like this, put it through this wash of a systematic review and meta-analysis. So according to the most recent meta-analysis used, it does seem to have some value in preeclampsia prevention. Now that we've established that, let's get into this new study that we're summarizing. This study was a follow-up of a cohort of children born to mothers who participated in another study. That study was a multi-center, placebo-controlled, randomized trial of pravastatin versus placebo in those who are at high risk for preeclampsia. That original study was done through the Obstetrics Fetal Pharmacology Research Center's network. Here's how this original study was done, because it was done in several parts. Patients were randomized to 10 milligrams pravastatin or placebo in the first trial, which was 20 patients, and then pravastatin 20 milligrams or placebo in the second part of the trial. Those were an additional 20 patients. And this was done through randomization between 12 weeks of gestation and 16 weeks and 6 days, and they took the medication up until delivery. If you want more information on that study, you can find it in the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology from December 2021. The chief author is Constantine, and the title is A Randomized Pilot Clinical Trial of Pravastatin versus Placebo in Pregnant Patients at High Risk of Preeclampsia. Okay, now back to this follow-up study. To assess the child's motor, cognitive, and developmental outcomes, a certified and blinded study psychologist completed child motor, cognitive, emotional, and behavioral assessments using validated scales. Given the otherwise small number of individuals in the studies, the 10 and 20 milligrams of pravastatins were combined into one group and compared with those in the placebo group. Out of the 40 children born to the mothers in the original trial, 30, 15 who were exposed in utero to pravastatin and 15 to placebo, were enrolled in this follow-up study. Now, let's just say the obvious right here. Yes, these are very small numbers. I get that. But remember, we've got to start somewhere. And this does provide a missing piece of that puzzle because it's the only one that followed up children in all of the different realms of neurodevelopmental outcome. Not just motor, not just cognitive, not just developmental or emotional or behavioral issues, but all of them. And it followed them for an extended amount of years. I get it. And in all disclosure, these are not huge numbers. The ends here are very small. So that is the big elephant in the room. That is the caveat to this study. 
it's very, very small in numbers and has to be replicated. But this adds to the already published and known short-term data that show that there's no short-term risks. So this information that we're about to cover is additional helpful information as we look for other agents to help prevent preeclampsia. And of course, a smaller caveat, as we've already discussed in past episodes, is that any data that reports on neurodevelopmental outcomes, you've got to be sure to control for any other confounding variables. The time of follow-up ranged from 2.5 to 6.9 years, and there was no difference in that follow-up between the pravastatin or the placebo group. There were no differences in the child's BMI index percentages between the groups, and no child born in the pravastatin group had any limitation in motor assessment compared with the children who walked with difficulty and four children who had reduced manual abilities, oddly enough, in the placebo group. Moreover, children born to mothers who received pravastatin had non-significant higher general mean conceptual ability scores and a non-significant lower frequency of having a score below 85, in other words, intelligence or cognitive ability. Lastly, there was no significant difference in the parent's report of the child's behavior checklist between the two groups. Although the data was limited by the original trial sample size, no identifiable long-term neurodevelopmental safety signal was found with the use of Prevastatin during pregnancy. The authors stated, quote, This favorable neonatal risk-benefit analysis justifies continued research using Prevastatin in clinical trials, end quote. Don't you just hate it when people say, well, it goes without saying, and then they say it anyway? I don't even get that. But nonetheless, that's exactly what I'm doing here, (laughs) because it really does go without saying that this needs to be replicated on a bigger scale. We need bigger numbers than this. I mean, this doesn't have power to find any small differences in neurodevelopmental outcomes that may be adverse. It doesn't seem to be based on any short-term data. And please understand that I'm not advocating for widespread privacy use based on, you know, an N of 15 per camp in this publication. But it is reassuring. I mean, we don't have any evidence that this would be harmful to the child. And this does add value to that argument. But again, it goes without saying this needs to be replicated on a larger scale. Now that we're at the end of the episode, I do need to say this again just to be clear and to be evidence-based. Currently, only low-dose aspirin has been endorsed by ACOG and SMFM and the American Heart Association, for that matter, as a chemoprophylactic agent against preeclampsia. But there is growing support for Prevastatin. And just to be clear, we are not at a point where universal adoption of Prevastatin is uniformly accepted. We're just not there yet. Nor is there a consensus as to what dose is better. Should it be a 10 milligram dose or a 20 milligram dose? We don't know that yet. But again, medicine does move fast. And as always, our commitment here at Clinical Pearls is to give you the most up-to-date current information so that we can continue building this puzzle one piece at a time. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. As always, we're thankful for you and we're glad that you're part of our podcast community. We'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.